don't everybody have a seat? I can use this if we need to. Check, check, one, two. Is that good? You know, I often think about the fact that uh, one of uh, the great preachers of the 1700s, George Whitfield, used to gather in fields with up to a thousand people and preach with no microphone. Charles Spurgeon uh, at Metropolitan Tabernacle in the late 1800s, there were up to 5,000 people gathered in large auditoriums, and he had no vocal support. So I think y'all can hear me from the background up there. We've got important business to do in God's word this morning. We didn't come here to get shut down by a little electricity. Am I right? All right, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5. If you're a little thrown off, so am I. But let's read God's word together. We'll get back in the groove here. I really appreciate all of our setup team, tech team, music team, plowing through everything. Can you give them a round of applause? for hanging with it. Honestly, this is incredible to be able to gather on Easter Sunday like this safely outdoors. It's so good to see some of you I haven't seen in up to a year, and I'm praising God to be able to be together with you today as we celebrate the risen Christ. Your Bible's open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read beginning in verse 14. I believe that God has a word for you today. That might surprise you. Let's read from verse 14. As you're turning there, if this is your first time with us, my name's Colby. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and I'm excited to open God's word with you. Here's what it says. Beginning in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Would you pray with me? And with our heads bowed just across the yard and across the benches here this morning. 
before I begin to explain these words, would you just ask the Lord to speak to you through them? Just a simple prayer. Lord, use these words today to speak to me. Father, we've heard your words this morning. Words that invite us to be reconciled. Lord, all that reconciliation is built on one thing. The fact that your son died and is risen from the grave. And so today, Lord, as we consider what that communicates to us about who Jesus is and your abundant love for us, we ask that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, not just to be able to hear the sound, but Lord, you, that we might hear your voice through these words, speaking to us, inviting us to be reconciled to you, to live like ambassadors of a new creation that you are preparing through the risen Lord Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, well, I was sitting in my seventh grade history class in 1900 and something. For some of you, if I say the year, you will think I'm old. And for some of you, if I tell you the year, you'll think I'm too young to take serious. So I'll just say 1900 and something. I remember my teacher who loved to read about future technology, describing to us a world that seemed so unimaginable to me. Someday, he said, you're going to be able to walk up to a machine. Just follow me for a second. You're going to put in a CD, a compact disc, and pick songs from different music albums, push a button, and they will be all put on that one compact disc. Isn't that amazing? I sat there imagining a day where I would be able to have songs by Billy Joel and Michael Jackson, Neil Diamond, Stevie Wonder, and DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince all on one CD. It was unimaginable as a seventh grader that that would be possible. This was, get it, this was still in a time where I was using a double cassette player to make mixtapes from songs on the radio while listening to Casey Kasem's Top 40 on Sunday evenings. Some of y'all are with me, and now you know how old I am. I was mesmerized by these tales. It was like a whole new digital world was being born before our eyes as the era of cassette tapes and eight tracks was dying a slow and painful death. We couldn't really have imagined what new world of technology we would be living in here in the year of our Lord, 2021. Oh, the changes. That sense of newness that I felt as a seventh grade boy is a small taste of what Paul wants us to understand the resurrection of Jesus is preparing for us with God. He calls it a new creation. <laughs> Not just new technology, but a new everything. That is what we are here to celebrate today. And I'm going to need some of y'all to talk back to me today and say amen every now and then. When we celebrate the resurrection, we are celebrating 
And I hope you've come here to celebrate the promise of a new life. The promise of a new life that we have to stretch our imagination to even think about. The resurrection is about God making the whole universe new, not just raising Jesus from the dead, but raising Jesus from the dead and inviting us to trust him to also raise us up to life with him. It's about God making the whole universe new and giving us the first taste of what is to come through raising Christ. And so Paul wants us Well, he wants to help us in these words that we've read to be able to see inside this new world and to point us to what is new. So as a way of celebrating with you today, I just noticed three things in the passage that I want to show you that are new. The first one is this. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The resurrection presents a new way of seeing. The resurrection presents a new way of seeing. See in verse 16 with me, it says, From now on, from now on, why? Well, he just gave us in verses 14 and 15 kind of an explanation of the Christian life. Jesus' death happened from God because we were all dead in our sin. He concluded the reason Jesus had to die is because we were dead. And he goes on and he says that Jesus died the death that we deserved and he was risen from the grave so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would come into a relationship with God where we live for him. And he says that this is available to us because Jesus, who died for our sake, died and was raised. And because of that, in verse 16, he says, From now on, because Jesus is risen, therefore we regard no one according to the flesh. Now, just a little side thing here. He's saying he, he used to look at people as just ordinary until he realized that the resurrection of Jesus meant that God didn't intend for us to just remain ordinary. That he had something remarkable for us. We are image bearers of God. And he used to look at everybody kind of through a shallow lens that he says, according to the flesh. And he says, I saw Jesus that way until he was risen from the dead. And he says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him this way no longer. Now, this is maybe the most confusing part of the passage, but let me break it down for you. From now on is a way of indicating that in Paul's life, there was a time prior to this where he considered that Jesus wasn't important at all. And now he sees him in a new light. He sees him in a new light. It changed. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus rising from the dead, changed the way that Paul sees Jesus and changed the way that he sees everyone else. It, it introduced to him a new way of seeing what was significant before God. How did Paul used to think about Jesus? Just follow with me for a second. He uses the phrase here, according to the flesh, right? That sounds odd. You know, unless you've read the Bible a lot, you've maybe never even thought of that phrase. But here, according to the flesh means something like this. It means something like he saw him just for what it looked like on the surface. He saw Jesus just as any other person. Not so triumphant, not so significant, certainly not capable of being the savior of the world. He saw him without spiritual eyes as one in whom God was 
not doing anything significant. Now, as I said earlier, it also says here that he saw everyone else that way. He saw them from a place of shallowness. He had a shallow view of Jesus, and he had a shallow view of everyone else. Instead of seeing people as God's image bearers, if he were to elaborate, maybe he would tell us he saw them based on their appearance. That's what it means according to the flesh. He's, maybe he would say he saw them based on their socioeconomic status. He saw them based on their skin tone. He saw them based on their culture. He saw them based on their influence with others. He saw them, and, he, and when he saw Jesus, he didn't see anything significant at all about what God wanted him to see. Now, we can, we can see what that looks like. He saw Jesus the way that on Good Friday, the others around him also saw him. Matthew 27 talks about the way that the crowds and the guards saw Jesus before he was risen. Matthew 27, 28 says that, that the guards... When they looked at Jesus, they didn't see a king so much that they put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head and pressed the thorns down into his skull, put a reed in his right hand, and kneeling before him, they mocked him. Now, we don't mock people of importance, do we? But see, these guards, they saw Jesus according to the flesh. He didn't look like anything to them. It says they spit on him and took a reed and they struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on, put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. It goes on and it says those when he was on the cross, those that passed by, they derided him. They wagged their heads. They said things like, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. That's the sort of thing you say when you don't think he's the Son of God. goes on, he says, the chief priests and the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others, he cannot save himself, he's the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. You hear the mockery? For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. This is the way Paul saw him too. This is someone to be cast aside. And you know, in some ways, maybe here today, you see him this way. You've never really understood what's the big deal about Jesus. Well, Paul certainly would have been with you at one particular time when he still saw Jesus after the flesh. But Paul says he no longer sees him that way. Something changed. Something changed in Paul's life that changed the way he saw Jesus. He doesn't regard Jesus that way any longer. Something happened. He saw the deeper reality of who Jesus was. You see, at the cross, Jesus looked like a loser. At the cross, Jesus looked like a fraud. At the cross, Jesus looked helpless, hopeless, and finished. But God does not work according to the flesh. When they said, come down from the cross, he said, I'll finish what I started. And when you lay me in the grave, the Father will raise me up. 
God doesn't work according to the flesh. He intends to up, upend our shallow value system and replace it with one that is true and real and eternal. And that same Jesus that looked like nothing was the Son of God, and on the third day he rose from the grave. And if you need a reason today to believe that God can do something new in your life, if you need a reason today to believe that God can take the confusing, broken pieces of your life and make something new out of it, well, Paul wants to testify to you today. Paul wants to testify that the Jesus who hung on the cross was not some fool. He is the eternal Son of God who hung there to conquer sin and death. He went to that death because of our sin, and because He overcame the grave and He rose from the dead, He can do something new in your life, no matter how buried your hope is by your sin and your present circumstances. Because Paul, who was killing early followers of Jesus, persecuting them and disregarding Jesus as a fool, one day encountered countered the risen Christ and went from murderer to missionary because of it. And he no longer sees Jesus after the flesh. He had a life-changing encounter with the risen Christ. And if you need a reason today to believe that the resurrection is true, evidence number one is the fact that Paul went from murderer to missionary. I could go ahead and give you 10 other reasons, but I'm going to save my time because all I want to say to you is I want to help you to avoid a really terrible moment in your future. It's the moment I've seen over and over on the show Undercover Boss. You guys ever see that? Raise your hands if you've ever seen Undercover Boss. A little bit of an old show, but I love this kind of stuff. I want to help you avoid this moment. I watched this episode of the show where the CEO of True Value, it's like a you know hardware store, goes undercover in one of his stores, and he works with this guy from Boston named Brad. He thinks that the CEO is just some ordinary trainee that he's been assigned to work with. So Brad is awful. I mean, he is really cringeworthy, awkward, awful. He's basically talking about smoking weed at work and hitting on the shoppers. He has no idea that the guy who he's speaking to is later going to sit before him face to face and tell him he's the CEO. No idea. Of course, we know it. And when it's revealed that the guy he was working with was not just some ordinary trainee, but the CEO of the company, he is humiliated. And he has to sit there and he's got to look him in the eye. Listen, if, if you look at Jesus with just a shallow perspective, if you've never taken a deeper look to see what's really there, why it is that a group of people would gather like this 2,000 years later to celebrate the resurrection of Christ, if you've never taken a deeper look and you don't get what all this is about, I just want to say, if you have taken a shallow glance at Jesus and dismissed him, maybe you haven't looked close enough. And before you get to the day when you're sitting there face to face with the risen Christ, I beg of you, look a little closer. Because the resurrection gives us a new way of seeing who Jesus was. The resurrection helps us see Jesus for who he is. He's unique in all of history. He's the one whom Paul says in verse 19 of these words, that is, in Christ, God was present. 
reconciling the world to himself. When Christ was present, God himself was there. That is who we should see. And the resurrection, in part, makes sure we don't miss it when we talk about Jesus. Now, if the resurrection gives us a new way of seeing, namely that God was present in Jesus, acting on our behalf, then the resurrection also tells us the new thing that God is doing in Christ. That's point number two. Number two, the resurrection tells us about the new thing that God was doing in Christ. The resurrection points to a new creation. It points to a new creation. This is a much simpler point, but maybe more profound What is God doing in the world through Christ? I want you, I'm going to answer that question, but that's the question we're going to answer with this point. What is God doing in the world through Christ? In Christ and through Christ, God is making creation new and inviting us to begin living now as ambassadors of that kingdom. Look at the text. It says in verse 17, if anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. Now that word new creation is not a random term. It's intended to communicate something like this. God created the heavens and the earth and it was good. Then the sin of mankind introduced evil, death, and decay into the world. And we are all suffering under the effects of what the Bible calls the sin and the curse. We have sinned against God. We have forsaken a life under his gracious rule, and the world we live in is permeated with sin. It's so permeated with sin that we can't even untangle or cleanse it or get rid of it ourselves. It's so complex how deep it goes in the world, but also in us. But God, who is rich in mercy, does not intend to abandon the world to decay, just like he didn't abandon Jesus in the grave. This is the story of new creation. He intends to renew the world by his creative power through the work of his Holy Spirit. And through Jesus' death on the cross, he paid for our sin and was raised from the dead as the first example of what God intends to do for all those who will forsake their sin and ask for his saving work to be applied to their life. You see, Jesus is like the model home of the new creation work that God intends to do. And he is the builder and the cornerstone of the new kingdom. When we turn from our sin and believe this good news of what God is doing, he places his Holy Spirit in us, the same spirit that hovered over creation in Genesis, in Genesis 1 and brought into form, begins to cre- recreate us from the inside and makes us participants in this raised life. You see, that is God's saving promise. God's saving promise and power for all those who are in Christ are his creative power. The work of his new creation that he is doing. Y'all still with me with all that wind out there? Because this is an important point. You see, when we believe this good news... God places his Holy Spirit in us. The same spirit that hovered over creation begins to recreate us 
and make us new. So the resurrection of Christ, this is the significance of it. The resurrection of Christ marked the beginning of God's new creation, while the effects of the old life of sin yet remain in the world. This is what the resurrection points us to. This is what's new. God has already started his eternal work that will carry on from now unto eternity. It's new creation. He says that because Christ is risen, if anyone is in Christ, that means if we have trusted him by faith and we've received the work of the Holy Spirit, making us spiritually alive to God, that spirit is creating us in the image of Christ for that new creation that we get to participate in. So the resurrection of Christ marked the beginning of this new creation while the effects of the old life of sin yet remain. So if we are in Christ, we are in fact a new creation being brought forth to display His image and to live as ambassadors for this new creation and appeal to others to be reconciled to God. They not only share in the hope they are called and empowered to live out the heart of it. We, as new creation people, we don't just get the hope of being risen with Christ, but we get the power of God bringing us into the image of Christ. So that we can live out what he said in verse 14, that the love of Christ compels us to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him who for their sake died and was risen again. I like to say, you know, it's like Jesus in the new creation becomes a model home. His risen life becomes our picture of our future hope. I, I think this is why everyone likes to go to Ikea. Now, because sometimes it's a bit hard to imagine, right? Like how we could fit so much organizational stuff into 250 square feet. But when you go to Ikea, you get a new vision for what's coming, right? I mean, I never thought about, you know, I just remember looking up and thinking, I never thought I could store my shoes on the ceiling until I got inside of one of those little Ikea rooms, and I began to look at everything that was in there, and I thought, every room in my house is in here. I can sleep. I can cook. Somewhere, if I push a button and pull it down off the wall, I can put my kids to bed and lock them inside nice and quiet. You know, it's like a model, right, of what, what, what we might be able to build out and do and see. And sometimes that glimpse gives us a picture. And what God did in the resurrection of Jesus, he, he showed us what we have to look forward to if we put our faith and trust in him. Because just as Christ was raised from the dead, a picture of new creation, we are promised that we can have new life that begins right now. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. In order to make that clear, Paul does one last thing for us here as he explains something important. Point number three, the resurrection promises a new relationship. The resurrection points to a new way of seeing the resurrection presents to us a picture of new creation. But the resurrection also promises a new relationship. Listen again to how Paul describes this invitation into a new relationship. Look at the text in verse 18 and 19. He says, all this is from God. 
The reason he says that is because he wants us to understand really clearly that long before we were ready to return to God, God was preparing the way for us to be reconciled home to him. All this hope, all this new creation, all this opportunity, this reconciliation, it's from him. It's, it's not because of what we've done or what we've managed to bring together. It's, it's from him. All this is from God. He does the work for us. It's not something we do for ourselves or even could do. It's what God is doing. He goes on and says, that is God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. You see, when we see Jesus and we think of his death on the cross and his risen life, we see God communicating in the most powerful way he could that we are welcome, even as sinners, to come home to him. That no matter how far we've been gone, how long we've been away, how broken and messed up we are, that he has done what it takes for us to be reconciled to him. And that doesn't just mean us, that means you today. That means you personally, that God has done what it takes and God has done what is necessary so that you could be reconciled to him. Because that's what is needed to make the world new. God is bringing it all back into right relationship with him. Here's the surprising good news this morning of the resurrection. He's taken the initiative to say to us, come and be reconciled. Now, why is that necessary? Well, because deep down in ourselves, we know that we are sinners. Deep down, we know that we have failed and cannot imagine that the holy God of the universe would just take us back like that. <laughs> without us proving that we're better, without us cleaning ourselves up, without us jumping to some height and showing how hard we could seek after him, that he would just say, come home. <laughs> we, we just can't believe that that could possibly true, be true. We're ashamed of our failure and our weakness if we get real honest. We've tried to straighten out before and we failed. We feel like there is something wrong with us. And to be honest, there is. We need forgiveness. Yes. We need our guilt cleared. Yes. But we're also broken and ashamed and we can't figure out how to make ourselves right. But God is making an appeal today through these words to all of us. It is his appeal. Come and be reconciled and I will make all things new. Look at verse 21. God has provided for our right standing with him. With, with him. He wants us to know that he is serious. So God took on flesh in the person of Jesus. And it says that no one, that, that the one here who knew no sin, that is God himself in the person of Jesus who didn't, didn't sin himself, who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is so that in Christ we might be counted as right with God in a right relationship with him. That means that Jesus drew so near to us in taking on flesh and identified entirely with us in our humanity that he is able to be united with us such that it can be said of him, he bore our sin. He bore our sin. Jesus did that for you. And his righteous obedience can be your obedience before God. Jesus did all of that, and it's all from God. He makes his appeal through Christ to you today to come 
and be reconciled. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing today to go home knowing that you're right with God? Like The way that, that a child can be right with their father, always welcome around the table, is your understanding of the resurrection of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross clear enough from what's said in this text that you know that you are accepted in the presence of God, not because you've been good enough, not because you've matured enough, but because Jesus was righteous and died on your behalf. He's risen again, and he wants to make you new. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing work of the Holy Spirit for this new creation. And today, if you have wondered where you stand with God, I want you to know that you can be confident. You could have a moment of spiritual clarity in your life today and be reconciled to him. All you have to do is with the open hands of faith, call out to him and come home. Come home. I end with this story I, I heard once. I tracked it down because I think it really captures the real condition of our hearts before God. Preacher Stuart Strachan points to this short story from Ernest Hemingway called The Capital of the World. Maybe some of you have read it. The story revolves around a father and his teenage son Paco set in Spain. Paco was an extremely common name in Spain at that time. He had desires to become a matador, and most of all to escape what he thought was his father's control. And Paco runs away to the capital from which the story is named, the capital of Spain, Madrid, and his father loses touch, but he longs to have him back. He longs to have him back, and his father, desperate to reconcile with his son, follows him to Madrid and puts an ad in a local newspaper with a simple phrase. Dear Paco, meet me in front of the Madrid newspaper office tomorrow at noon. All is forgiven. I love you. Hemingway then writes, the next day at noon, in front of the newspaper office, there were 800 Pacos, all seeking forgiveness. Sometimes all that we need to come home is to know that there's an opportunity for a reconciled life. If you don't see anything from the cross and the resurrection today, I would want you to see this, that God has an even more significant message for you. Leave your life of sin. All is forgiven because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Just come home. Maybe you've never heard the good news ever so clearly in your life, and today you've been wondering if you would ever be welcome home with God. Maybe you've done some things in your life you're so ashamed of, so guilty about that you could never imagine that God would say all is forgiven come home well today I want to invite you home 
on the authority of God's word and because of the Jesus Christ who shed his blood on the cross and is risen from the dead, he stands and he speaks a word of authority to you. All is forgiven, come home. And today, if you'll turn from your sin and you'll believe that good news, he'll make you a new creation. Now we're going to close and sing the best that we can. <laughs> but before we do that, and before we depart, I just want to ask you to reflect for a moment. Worship team, if you don't mind coming up and preparing to help us sing a final song before we take the Lord's Supper together. But would you bow your heads with me and just in a moment before God, just you and the Lord. Not looking around, not concerned about your neighbor. I'm not going to ask you to, to come down front or walk an aisle. But I got to believe that maybe today there's someone here who heard those words come home and they deeply long to return to God. And they can know, you can know today, that Jesus Christ has shed his blood for you to be forgiven. And it's free to those who will turn from their sin and trust him by faith. This simply means that you would call on him. Romans 10, 13 says, on the basis of that truth and that good news, if anyone calls on the name of the Lord, he will be saved. And maybe you're here today and you would say, today... Pastor, I, I want to come home to God. I know that I'm a sinner. I never understood that I can be reconciled to him because of what Christ did and that I could call on him and be saved and be a new creation. But today, as I heard those words, my heart said I want to come home to God. If that's you, I'm just going to ask you to do one simple thing. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but right there in your seat, if you would say, today I want to come home because of what Jesus has done. I believe that God loves me and I can be forgiven. In a moment, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand all around this amphitheater so that I can pray for you. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to take further steps in a relationship with God. But right now, with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, today I want to come home. Just put your hand up. Up in the air. Let me see them. Thank you. Hold them up high so I can see and pray for you. Thank you. Right there where you're seated today, I want you to know you, you don't need me to do this for you. You can ask the Lord for that gift. We're told that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He gives salvation and forgiveness and reconciliation as a gift. We call on him by faith. And right now you could pray a prayer like this. If you mean it from your heart, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've walked away from you and I've lived for myself. But today I no longer want to live for myself. 
I want to turn from my sin and come home. Today, I put my trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I'm asking you, through your Holy Spirit, to give me spiritual life. To reconcile me to you. And to receive me back because of him. I want to walk with him and be faithful to you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Now listen, for some of you, that may have been a divine moment of God inviting you home. And if you sincerely ask him, the Lord promises to respond. And we want to help you grow. We want to help you grow. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life to trust the good news of Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do just one more thing because I want to help you out in the days and weeks to come to grow in your faith. Just put your hand up and look at me. If that was you, say, that, that's me. I want to begin that relationship. Listen, I want to connect with you guys and uh, help you get connected to a Bible study and grow and get connected to what we're going, going on, what's going on here in an ongoing way. But God loves you. And he just wants you home. So we're grateful that you've been here today. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us. And then in a moment, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together and celebrate Jesus Christ. His body broken, his blood shed, raised to new life for us. Lord, I pray for those right now who have taken the first step of faith in their life. I pray that you, God, would just God, fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would give them spiritual life in a way that would change and transform them. That these words, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation, would be made true in them as they've called upon you. Lord, we celebrate what Jesus has done and we trust that you, you can see us through as we wait for the day when we see the risen Christ. Would you grant us courage and faith, strength for obedience, and joy as we celebrate the resurrection today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. In a moment, we're going to sing one last.